0: excited i'm so excited Why excited when did we last make a podcast
1: um i i don't know you were still very young
0: <laughs> and uh before, and the world was
1: a very different place
0: it was before there was, there i was, got all these wrinkles ah.
1: there was virtually no chance of a thermonuclear extinction event for our species the last time i spoke to you sam the most powerful man now. on the
0: planet wasn't a large orange cheeto uh, intent on proving that he has the biggest <laughs> toys <laughs>
1: No, no sentient Cheetos uh, were in <laughs> office at uh, the most important desk in the solar system.
0: Yeah, you know, life is better. <laughs> mm-hmm. David Burry It was, a was different still place, alive. Actually,
1: no, I think the last time we, we podcasted, the Cheeto had, had uh, began his rise. Oh, no. In fact, I think he had just stolen the throne.
0: Oh, God. Wow, it's been, it's been a long time. Um, it has
1: been a long time. So, I shouldn't have left you.
0: No, exactly. See what happened. Without
1: a dope beat. Do, just you, left see,
0: do you see? I mean, I'm not, I don't I don't want to say that correlation equals causation, but I do want to say that while we were podcasting regularly, nothing bad happened in the world. And then we stopped podcasting regularly, and everything bad happened in the world. So We'll have to do a study. So you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. what have you
1: been up to sam oh wait i know all about it
0: yay i started a business with you Yay! (laughs) i thought i was such a fool because i thought oh you know one way to make sure that i get to hang out with simon dingle every day i should start a business with him and then he can never escape from me and instead what do you do you spend all your fucking life in Jo'burg, still you asshole i'm sorry (laughs) it's not fair because i miss you
1: I miss you too. Oh. But um but you know, we spend more time sitting at a desk next to each other than I spend in Johannesburg That's or true. anywhere else for that matter. That's of time.
0: true. Mm-hmm. And and by desk in our office, inverted commas, uh, you mean the table at Roxy's with beer in yes. front of us.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. Worksing.
0: Simon, what has been what has been surprising to you about uh starting a business properly?
1: Um So, um, starting a business, I I don't know, Sam, or the amount of uh, admin... hmm,
0: (laughs) Yeah, your whole life is admin.
1: (laughs) So, so here's the thing with starting a business. Mm. You start a business because there's a thing you want to do. Either you love doing it or you just think it's a really good idea or you see some money on the table. um, And you start a business because that's what you want to do. But then you realize that you can't do it alone, so you start hiring other people. And very quickly... The person who started the business's job becomes human resources management mm. and accounting, mm-hmm. <laughs> while the people that you hire to help you do the thing that you started the business because you wanted to do. Yep. Um, and that, in my experience, having started, call it, I don't know, 10, 11 businesses, mm. that's, that's pretty much always what happens.
0: Yep. Yeah, it's weird, Or I right? just
1: works on my own.
0: <laughs> it's interesting, yeah. I mean, it's been interesting to me, like how quickly, because we decided very early on that we didn't want to grow a lot. Like our aim is not to be a big business. Um, we Scaled don't scale
1: price, not humans. Yeah,
0: exactly. We actually don't want to hire more people. But it's been amazing to me how quickly you run up against those tr- those trade offs, right? Where people like all the incentives are on the table for you to grow, like hire one more person, and then you can charge much more it's weird right like you actually have to quite actively resist resist the growth narrative
1: exactly but but you know we're fed that growth narrative it's uh when you go to business school where they'll tell you that business is a science (laughs) (laughs) oh lordy they're so cute um (laughs) but they (laughs) they'll teach you that the sole purpose of a business is to grow to show growth for shareholders Um, yeah and this notion that you can have a business that just cleans its own nose pays its bills And also pays everybody who works for the business a very healthy salary so that they don't really ever need more except for marginal, um, you know, appreciation every year. Mm. Uh, That that kind of idea, that that doesn't gel with your traditional business type. So when you tell them that you're building a business and you don't plan to scale – um, they just kind of glaze over. They they can't comprehend.
0: Yeah, yeah. They think you've sort of it's, missed it's, entirely the point of what businesses are. But I think they've missed the fucking point.
1: <laughs> Business- well, you know, it's, it's like the face your mother makes when you tell her about your ayahuasca weekend.
0: <laughs> no i've never had that conversation about my mother it's the face my mother makes every time i try to explain what bitcoin is <laughs>
1: it depends on who your mother is <laughs> yeah true I mean, some mother's people's mothers badass, go with them to the ayahuasca retreat
0: true true my mom is no <laughs> yeah um
1: so that's been surprising what's been the biggest surprise for you
0: um it's been amazing now that i am entirely in charge of my own time how mm-hmm. it's really made me realize how much time I s- wasted when I was working for other people, doing absolutely nothing that mattered, like I was sitting felt, in meetings yeah, i'm like trying to figure out like what I was doing all day, right before, because I always felt like I was very busy, but I wasn't actually doing that much stuff now that I look back on it, and i like I think I was quite quite effective. Um, so it's not like I had the sort of job where I was sitting around like browsing Facebook, you know, I was like product managing and responsible for a lot of things, but now I look back on it and I'm like, I feel like I am very lazy now, but <laughs> like more lazy, but I also get much more done.
1: You don't have to spend as much time on alignment.
0: Yeah. I guess it's just like, I think also cause we are deliberately a very small business, like, it's made me realize how much of my job used to be just communicating to other people. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's good. That's very important. And communication is wonderful. And big tribes of people can sometimes do certain kinds of things that small tribes of people can't do. But um, yeah, I don't miss it. Like it's also, it has, it is occasionally overwhelming, right. When like you basically are staring down the vast infinite void of like every possible thing that you could be doing And trying to work out what is the most important thing for you to be doing all the time. Like, there's some angst there, yo.
1: (laughs) Prioritization is tough, Sam. It's difficult. Yeah. It's the hardest button to button when you're doing things as a human being.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: And that's that's what leads to so much paralysis as well, isn't it? Because Mm. you're like, you don't know what to do next. Mm. So you uh, you don't do anything.
0: No, for sure. And then I definitely still find myself bike shedding, right? So you know that that expression where it's like you are too paralyzed thinking about the important things, so that you end up like returning back over and over again to these very tractable problems that you do know how to solve, and just like fiddling with them for way too long. So for me, it's like fiddling with our website and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, I think that we could have, I don't know, slightly better. Uh, loading time on this so let me go and optimize the images some more it's like that's not that important
1: (laughs) no until it is i mean i was listening to uh was it zen habits on twitter he's just started a podcast he's delightful you should totally follow him let me see on my phone thingy what his his twitter is
0: tell me about zen habits Um,
1: but any well i'll tell you about zen habits but but more importantly i was listening to his latest episode where he was talking about motivation and the fact that, you know, the big idea of, of whether you're writing a novel or, you know, starting a business or whatever it is that you're doing, you've got, a, you've got the big idea. You've got this big amorphous thing that you're trying to do. And you think that that's yeah. the thing. But actually, the thing is the very boring, yeah. mundane task that you need to do right in the moment. It's the sentence that you're writing right now, which will yeah. be completely insignificant in the greater yeah. scheme of the novel but that's what you need to do right now otherwise the novel will never be mm. um, and it's it seems like such a pithy or you know obvious thing to say but when you think about a big task or a job or something that you want to do it's not actually the big idea that should captivate you you should choose what you're doing Based on what boring, Mm. mundane, small tasks you enjoy most. (laughs) Some people really love tinkering (laughs) with the formula in a cell on a spreadsheet. Other people really love writing and rewriting a sentence until it's perfect. Choose those tasks, not the big idea, Mm. because the big idea is what happens when you do that task over and over all day.
0: No, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I guess like, so I think that at its heart is really what our business is about, right, though, isn't it? like, so, you know, t- g- taking these big amorphous ideas and saying, all right, so what is a way that we can take this big amorphous idea, turn it into a real thing, and then put it actually in front of people, and then not have the ego to be scared of doing that and hearing that, oh, actually, they don't care, and they don't want this, you know? Um yeah. And I yeah. think like, if you and I have any superpower, it's like... The fact that we are quite both, I think as people, quite willing to hear that we're wrong about stuff. Like the one yeah, thing that absolutely. I will toot my own horn and your I will toot your horn, Simon. <laughs> hey. Um about is that both of us are like very okay with hearing that we're wrong.
1: Well, and I also like the idea that our projects don't begin with um a big amorphous idea. They they usually begin with a a gap that's been spotted or a need that's been spotted. Like, Mm. you know, people really struggle to travel overseas with money, for example. Or Mm. um, it's really difficult to convert Bitcoin to normal uh, and by normal, I mean, old world money Mm. um, for the regular guy in the street. Um, you know, those, those kind of, those don't presuppose a solution. They just, they, they're a thing that needs to be solved. They don't have
0: any sort of supporting theory of business, you know? Um, it's like, have you, my best, the best description I've heard of like, I've heard economists described like this, but I think that like MBA types, I would, I would say the same. It's like the analogy of how similar they are to, um, astrologists, so, they do spend a lot of time forecasting the future, but are almost never right about their forecasts, or at least are never specific enough about those forecasts for those forecasts to be testable. Um, but there's like an enormous amount of, um, I don't know, both like retrofitting predictions onto the past um, and also some beautiful, like, I don't know, hand wavy theory stuff that makes, per- that's very like internally coherent but doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. map onto the universe in any way.
1: <laughs> so the guy who I thought was Zen Habits is actually Daily Zen, at Daily Zen on Twitter. Uh. I don't know his real name.
0: He's too but Zen that's for his,
1: you. But <laughs> that's his, that's his hacker Nick.
0: Cool. Um, daily meditation. Nice. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this looks very cool.
1: Yeah. yeah, he is very cool. Yeah. This person.
0: I mean, this thing about growth, though, like... Okay, so I'm back. You know, you know that whenever I'm like slightly stressed about life, I channel all of my stress into obsessing about um, organization. Um, yes. as like an elaborate form of procrastination itself.
1: So- I'm just gonna go with yes. <laughs> I mean, basically, Sam, my life consists of waking up, marveling at the fact that you're finally old enough to be employed, because <laughs> it, it would have I would have been exploiting minors if I tried to work with you a few years Thank ago. Thank you. And <laughs> And then just watching you like fucking <laughs> achieve more in a day than all of the useless human beings I've worked with before could achieve in a year, Aww. and then getting drunk and then going to bed. That's that's basically my my workday. It's
0: kind of nice, right? Um,
1: and oh, and in between, I have to I have to make some spreadsheets.
0: I really think that everyone should just aim to start businesses with their best friends. Like that's that should just be everyone's life goal. <laughs> like fuck any other life goal you have. You know, that's another thing
1: that. that <laughs> You know, like anybody who's been in business for longer than four decades would laugh at you and tell you that that's exactly what you shouldn't do. Sure. That it will end in tears.
0: Yeah. I mean, maybe. I don't know.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, fuck them. Whatever. Yeah,
0: exactly. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait. But I was going to say, like, I've been on, on a, like an a, obsessive organization kick again. And I've been thinking about how actually the most the biggest impediment to my having a completely perfectly organized life system in my home is the fact that my home is too big um, so last weekend,
1: <laughs> <laughs> my house is too my, large. Oh no,
0: hashtag first world problems. Oh, yeah, um, so, um, last weekend, Matty P, my lovely man and I, uh, stayed, we went to Storms Rufir. boyfriend. My boyfriend. We went to this, uh, this tiny little village called Storms Field, which literally has like four houses in it. And it's so cool. And it's in the forest. And we stayed in this tiny house that this guy named Robbie, who was very cool, built himself with his own hands out of off cuts that the foresters have given him. Um, Jesus, you
1: guys are hipsters.
0: Oh no, but he's like the anti hipster. He's like this <laughs> middle aged uh-huh. dude with a beer guts and he's wonderful. um, Anyway, and like not that middle aged men with beer guts can't be hipsters, I guess. But anyway. Um and then we had such a like mutual geek out about the tiny house movement and we've watched all the same YouTube videos about it. <laughs> so it was Oh
1: my god, Sam, I want a, a tiny little micro house. Oh
0: here. my god, me too. Me too. It's just there's nothing beach, more satisfying. Maybe. Yeah. Where would you want your house? Actually, tiny not on house? the beach,
1: on the mountain next to the beach, so that global warming brings the beach to me gradually <laughs> over time. <laughs> I can watch the beach creep, uh, beach creep. <laughs> towards me.
0: No, totally, yeah.
1: From my tiny little windows in my micro little housey.
0: Yeah, it's just like
1: it oh, would make me the happiest.
0: It's just like think about like every single thing that you own, right? Whether it's other mammals or just stuff, <laughs> it just it costs you so much. Like it costs you so much headspace and so much time that you have to spend like repacking all of that shit, or like mm-hmm. I don't know, feeding those mammals, like. The answer clearly is just have less, less stuff, right?
1: Ethereal assets. Yes. Have all your stuff in the cloud.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Including and, your brain.
1: Um, and, and your physical things. So, Sam, I guess, you know, where it started for me was um, leaving a, a relationship after, you know, a decade and a half. Mm. And, and venturing into the world unhindered. as if that's possible (laughs) Mm. um no that's not what happened but i you know i was traveling between three cities i was living between cape town and london and johannesburg usually Mm. and and i i kind of got my life down into a backpack and a carry-on like a tiny carry-on you know and i could travel the world with these two things and so you optimize. You're like, do I really need three jackets? No, I need one jacket. Mm. <laughs> um, and, and, and how many pairs of jeans do I need? One, mm. you know? And, and the amazing realization that there's no country in the world I've traveled to, um, including, you know, rural Africa, where I couldn't wash my clothes. So you just do laundry. Um, but having like, this is my yeah. one pair of jeans. What is the perfect pair of jeans for me? Right. Levi's 510, mm. and I know my size. I can walk to any Levi store in the world and go, please pass me a pair of Levi's 510, 34, 32s. Yep. Done. Yep. Pay, leave. <laughs> but also, the quality on those single items improves substantially. Not only mm-hmm. the build quality, the brand, whatever, that doesn't matter. The quality of what that particular thing means to me. You know, yeah. like a pair of Superga. Superga sneakers is perfect. Mm. It is perfection in my mind because it is also the only pair of sneakers I own. Yeah, I own a pair of white and a pair of black Superga <laughs> sneakers. <laughs> yeah, you know they cost like fifty dollars anywhere in the world, mm. and and the, those are my sneakers, yo. I don't need to worry about mm-hmm. them, but every time I put them on, I go, "Damn, these are fine sneakers." <laughs> um, and and like my Samson Go mic, it is the tiniest little condenser mic mm. in the world. We're recording this podcast on it right now. I have one too. It's not perfect, (laughs) but I love it so much. Yeah. Um, it's amazing how by getting rid of the quantity, you exponentially increase the quality of the things that you carry about with you through this world. Yeah. And so I want my micro house where everything (laughs) is perfectly in its place. Yeah. Ah, here is my Japanese ceramic knife. It is my only knife. But fuck me. I could kill a samurai, slice an onion, (laughs) or screw in a screw using this one device that I love so dearly. Yeah. Actually, I would never take my ceramic knife to a screw it, Sam. I was making that up. (laughs) Yeah, it's like
0: you monster. Yeah, I mean, you're just like, everything you're saying is just, oh, so dreamy. I mean, I think for me, what it was, was when I started getting seriously into hiking. And it's the same thing, right? Like when you've spent five days literally living as a tortoise right like everything that you need is on your back and then you must therefore be obsessive about having as little as possible because every additional gram that you carry is you know something that you really feel um oh man and it just it gets so so damn satisfying <sighs> mm-hmm. yeah but you, like the room around you like this sp- because humans are like goldfish and that we expand to fit the space around us right so yes. if you have a big house you will buy more shit right and then, like, you, you can't fight that entropy. So, actually, the thing to do, I think, is put the sort of hard limits in place that make it impossible. And that's the same, the same like, way that budgets work, I think. And the same way that most things that you need to sort of constrain in your life, because otherwise they get out of control, work in the same way.
1: I think it's true for everything, Sam. Mm-hmm which is why we need tiny offices, tiny houses, Mm. tiny
0: ambitions. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, tiny ambitions. I love it.
1: No, not well. Yes, actually.
0: Yeah. No, because I think like, okay, tiny in the sense of really caring about very specific concrete things, right?
1: Yes. Like I love writing and rewriting sentences, not me personally, Mm. but that's a good tiny ambition. Yeah. Like I really fucking love making spreadsheets. And, the, again, not me, <laughs> but somebody friend, out there does. Our friend
0: Kenny <laughs> and our other friend Georgina. They both really yeah, love spreadsheets. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Or I really love finding the best JavaScript framework for whatever. Yeah. Um, and don't let people tell you that that's a stupid idea and that Elon Musk is more important than you because he wants to die on Mars.
0: Mm. But, I mean, like Elon Musk is a great example, right? So, yeah, I mean, there's the whole Mars plan and all the wonderful steps to getting there. But Elon Musk also, like, you know that thing where for a long time he had his desk in the manufacturing hangar, you know, because he also fundamentally is an engineer and really cares about the details of how things are made. And by all accounts, gets pretty damn, like maybe over-involved in some of those decisions.
1: Mm -hmm. He loves obsessing over things and learning. Yeah. From what I'm told.
0: Yeah. I haven't met the guy, even though he comes from our hood.
1: (laughs) you know what the moment it becomes an identity we're almost talking about nothing because whether you're talking about Bill Gates or Elon Musk or Steve Jobs none of us knew them none of us really knows what drive them we just know the myth that was built up around these egos Mm. um but you know more likely than not each of them enjoyed obsessing about something in the beginning and that thing could have been making money Mm. or in Bill Gates's case coding as a teenager and having access to one of the only terminals where one could do that in the world Mm. um but, you know, it, 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 I think it was the tiny obsessions that got them to the big I- or, or got the big ideas to, to becoming something material. Yeah. Because, because it, I'm going to stick by this, this assertion that you will not get anything made, built, brought to market in any form that matters unless it was about those tiny obsessions mm. and stacking them over time.
0: Damn fucking straights. Absolutely. Because I mean, also at the end of the day, like the people who end up doing the big, the really big, exciting stuff, I'm convinced, as you mentioned, like about Bill Gates, that 90% of the time, it's like mostly chance and happenstance and where they were and all of the sort of attendant privileges or whatever around them, right? And like those sort of approach, like having that approach to life, sort of betting everything on the big needs and the big ego needs of, of I need to be very successful or whatever, so much of that is not actually in your hands. And mm-hmm. it's the lottery, right? So you could you could be very successful, but you also could be not very successful. Whereas at least if you're focusing on actually doing things every day in the micro sense that make you happy anyway, even if all that you you get at the end of the day is a very tiny house <laughs> or a very lovely JavaScript framework or whatever your thing is, you know, then you've enjoyed that process. And then, you know, if you die tomorrow, that's fine because you had fun with your tiny house.
1: It's luck, Sam. It's all luck. But as our friend John Milton said, luck is the residue of design.
0: There we go. (laughs) Your favorite quote. And the
1: design is the thing that you do every day. It's the whole like goals versus systems things that our (laughs) our friend, the douchebag, Scott Adams talks about all the time.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Oh, man. Talk about a fall from grace. What happens? What happened to
0: him? I don't know. I don't know. Tell me things. Catch me up.
1: Uh, He became the great defender of uh, the sentient Cheeto.
0: Oh. Mm.
1: In a sense, there was a very good discussion between Scott Adams and uh, Sam Harris that put it into perspective for me. Okay. Uh, Anyway, whatever. Scott's a smart guy with very bad ideas. Uh, Let's leave it at that. (laughs) But one of his ideas I do agree with is that goals are for losers and systems are for winners. And I guess that's something we've spoken about before several times. Mm. Uh, But that's kind of what we're saying, isn't it? It's like, forget about the goal. And what, look at the system that, like, works and, and build a machine um, that creates, that just spits out success. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then the goals will almost happen by themselves. Yeah,
0: exactly. Eggs fucking exactly. Okay, so, Simon, uh, yeah? what other things have you been obsessed with since the last time we <laughs> had a conversation and put it on the internet, which was a very long time ago?
1: Sam, I have, I have a, a love that I, I don't have words for, um, for my Nintendo Switch.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, god damn really? it, that Switch, Sam. Oh, really? Tell me more. I've never seen you play with your Switch.
1: No, you've never. Se- no, you have. <laughs> I know, several I'm joking. Times. I'm
0: joking. You play with it all day.
1: <laughs> you played with my Switch, Sam. I
0: know, it's great. I love it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I, m-
1: I still. I play, I play the Zelda almost every day, still, hmm. even though I've beat Ganon so many times. <laughs> um i have to complete it i'm looking i'm looking for a hundred percent breath of the wild that's the outcome i need
0: what is what is that is that like when you've when you've explored the whole magical universe of zelda
1: when i when i found every last goddamn shrine (laughs) recovered every last (laughs) item oh my god i'm spoken to every npc (laughs) i'm so bad at
0: that game why do you love your switch so much like what is it about an object that makes it so much more satisfying for you than playing on a console or something
1: um, it's, it's you know, like Nintendo used to, used to be the Levi's of the gaming world, right? Yeah. <laughs> they were the company that made that thing and that could just be the one thing and you didn't want for anything else. And I don't know, they kind of lost their way. You, you know, I'm a, I'm a big Nintendo fan and I love talking about the fact that they were established in the 19th century, making playing cards in Japan and they kind of lost their way and then they found their way again. And it's a story I love to tell, but, um, but the switch is really, it's one of my favorite examples of innovation where there are companies duking it out doing the same thing being Microsoft and Sony with their Xbox and the PlayStation. Mm. And then Nintendo steps kind of out of the arena for a while and comes back with something that really does in a, in in the most meaningful way because the most meaningful things are subtle. You know, people mm. look at like the new iPhone and go Oh my God, I can't... Like Samsung had wireless charging five years ago. (laughs) And miss all of the things that make the new iPhone truly innovative, right? I don't want to go down the Apple path. But the Switch is truly innovative because it's about all of those small things. Like, you know, last night I was watching one of my spawn uh, play Mario Kart at a table outside. You know, we're visiting with family. So sitting at this big table outside, lots of family around... Um, And the Switch is propped up on the table, and him and one of his cousins, they've each got a Joy-Con, and they're playing Mario Kart. And all of a sudden, it's like lawn bowls or swimming or the other things Mm -hmm. that are acceptable when the family is kind of chilling together outside. Now gaming has come into that space in a way that isn't Mm antisocial, isn't um, obnoxious, um, doesn't necessarily take their attention off the rest of the family so much. Um and it's, it's really redefined the category in a way that no other device in that category has before. It oh well I mean that's that's kind of redundant, but whatever you know what mm, I'm saying. Mm. And and so I love my Switch for all of those reasons, and also just because it's my little travel buddy that lives in my backpack. <laughs> I can take it out and play Zelda. I can prop it up in an airplane and play Mario Kart with the person sitting next to me, mm. or Ultimate Street Fighter with Sam in the office, <laughs> and then put it away. It's not a big deal. There's no like you know avatar with points that are being spent on whatever and it's just there's no bullshit it's about having fun playing games that are very simple
0: it is like i do love the sociable nature of it wait did you say that those little clippy clippy offy controllers are called joy cons joy cons oh my goodness that's the cutest goddamn thing
1: Well, it's Nintendo. Everything they do is cute, right? Yeah,
0: little Joy-Cons. Yeah, but I mean, like, the the detachable nature of those definitely, I think, is what makes it feel like a very different device than, you know, like a Game Boy, which is a very solo thing.
1: Yeah. Well, we were also recording this the weekend after one of the biggest mass shootings in U.S. history. Mm. Um, And as you know, I'm a big proponent of computer games do not equal violence Mm. in the real world. But you know, I, I I've kind of I think every time these things happen, you're forced to rethink your opinions on things like whether or not shooting people in their virtual faces mm. equates to wanting to shoot them in their real faces in real life.
0: Yeah,
1: and I kind of like like that there are no games on the switch where i'm running around with an assault rifle mm. in a, a exact replica of a real world city yeah. uh shooting people in the face those games just don't exist in the nintendo universe yeah or they didn't increasingly they they're starting to make their way there but um but but I've, i also find that satisfying especially when i watch my spawn playing i like to know that it's mario and rabbits in you know home front invasion or whatever it is Um, Or Ultimate Street Fighter because I can handle that level of violence. Yeah. Or, you know, Mario Kart. Like, that's okay.
0: Yeah, for sure. I watched the most fascinating video the other day. Um, I'm trying to remember what channel it was on, which was about – it was an analysis of what entertainment assets the U.S. military sponsors so they were specifically talking about independence day two, which, um, all of the advertising around it or a whole bunch of the advertising around it, um, actually led you to the U S army recruitment site. Um, and I mean, definitely like it's something that the U S army has done Well, specifically the U S army, because, you know, if it's close historical ties with Hollywood, but like, um, you know, they've done this for a long time, that kind of blending of entertainment and recruitment, um, but like increasingly, definitely games are a part of that and that, that propaganda and all of that stuff. So, I mean, there definitely are some difficult questions I think we need to answer, even if we don't want to, you know, without having to get into the very oversimplified, um, oh violence in computer games obviously leads to violence yeah. in the world. Yeah. I mean, there still are some other uncomfortable questions about what, we- what ideas the games are, are, are putting in our minds.
1: But with our beloved American friends, we can't even have discussions around why civilians probably shouldn't carry assault rifles. Oh, so yeah. we 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 are millennia away from discussing video games with them.
0: I don't. Oh man, America! Oh, guys, friends in America, <laughs> we're sending you such cuddles. Jeez, <laughs> what has happened? Yeah, but
1: but like <laughs> maybe just just come visit. Just come visit. And maybe go visit a friend in Australia and talk to them about the single mass shooting they've ever had in their history. Yeah. And then they banned guns and they haven't had one since then. And maybe just think a little bit about causation there. Mm. Like, like maybe those two things are connected. Yeah. Like, maybe nobody having guns and then nobody getting shot. Maybe maybe those two things make sense together. So, I don't know. Anyway. Totally.
0: But, like, I mean, this is a whole other conversation, which maybe we shouldn't start now. <laughs> but, like, which we can have later. But, like... um actually getting people to change their mind about things that are about their identity is very, very difficult, right? Um, And I think that this is something that we've only seen play out all over the world's politics over the last couple of horrible years, Um, you know, is like rational arguments on like actually are not very successful at getting people to change their minds, like showing them the stats and showing them the Australian example, like actually haven't really changed many people's minds um because you know you human brains are very good at, at rationalizing and we we actually all all of us once we found positions that you know are, are make us feel like who we are and make us feel c- connected to a community and accepted like none of us really as much as we think we're very rational you know are it's it's not easy to change your mind from rational yeah, arguments
1: but, but even you can't discuss changing your mind either <laughs> Yeah, but, like we, yeah. we're not going to have a discussion about cognitive dissonance and what happens when it impacts on late stage capitalism either. Because yeah,
0: yeah.
1: anyway, and the question whatever. of like who's
0: actually like who's who who are the the shadowy powers that be who actually have an interest in the propaganda that's underpinning the mm-hmm. system. Anyway, ugh, a whole other conversation. So Sammy, you know achy. what would be better? What?
1: What would be better is if you told me about something you found that's <gasps>
0: amazing. Recently. Okay. So as you know, I've spent a lot of the last year writing a book called how to manage your money, like a fucking Grown Up," which is coming out next year, which I'm very excited about. So I've been spending a lot of my life literally wrangling sentences um, over the last year. And it's been one of those tiny house problems that I find exceptionally satisfying. Um, so, my my new writing tool, and I, I found a new writing tool every sort of two years or so, and I think that this one might be one that sticks. It's been truly beautiful. Uh, it's a cool t- tool called Ulysses. Um, it's It forces you to write in Markdown, um, which has actually changed a whole bunch of things about how I've thought about the book as I've been writing it. Um Ooh, it sounds like there's a mosquito on the line. That's weird. Maybe it's just me. Um, So what it does is it it helps you firstly organize. um, So it helps with your workflow. So it helps you sort of organize all the fundamental thoughts and notes and then structure it into sort of manageable chunks um, so I really feel like writing this book would have felt like an impossible task if it wasn't for this writing tool. Um, but it lets you sort of chunk things down, set targets for specific sections. Um, and then actually writing it in Markdown, which is very easy to learn as a syntax, um, is great because it forces you to uh, define things by its structure, which means that later when you're working you know, with typesetters and all of that kind of thing, that whole process is just a hundred billion times easier. Um, and it's also kind of made me think more about, again, about how fundamentally backwards the publishing industry is um, and out of date. So there's been this wonderful uh, economics textbook project that I came across, which I've also been very into. So the textbook is called The Economy, and it's an international project with some of the best economists in the world – um, and they've all crowds sort of collaborated on this open source economics textbook, which has been designed as, like, an interactive online book. Um, so it has these wonderful, like, interactive graphs and these, like, videos and multimedia embedded in it. Um, it's very easy to sort of search. You can, like, filter by specific themes. And how you interact with this book just is so fundamentally different to how you would pick up a textbook, like a physical textbook, and then also very different to how you would interact with a digital book, like an e-book, which is just a ridiculous idea of a thing, if you think about it. Like, let's take this paradigm Mm -hmm. of this horrible paper thing and just put it in a very non-interactive digital format. Anyway, so writing in Ulysses, this wonderful writing tool, has helped me think more in... A different kind of booky way, I guess, like a, like more of a modular book to help me make more of a modular book, which and more of an exportable book that can live in multiple places. I think. Anyway, Ulysses. I've been obsessed with it. It's wonderful.
1: Yeah, I used to use Scrivener, which uh, used to be the thing mm. for writing books, and and also great at like exporting at everything from EPUB to PDF to whatever thingy you need. Um, but I've I've been watching you work in Ulysses, and it looks it looks splendid. Oh, Did you ever so nice. play around with um, Apple Author? I think it was called.
0: Uh, n- yes, vaguely, very briefly. It seemed. To, what I liked yeah.
1: about it was that you know they really had thought about what a digital book means. Mm. So you know, embedding video, uh, all of that sort of stuff, and they're making it exportable for for the Apple iBook store. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Um, it's uh i i you know i've played around with it i haven't done any serious work in ibooks author mm. but it's uh it's it's something
0: no that's very cool i should definitely give it a go it's fun when you like find yourself having conversations with your editor about whether whether emojis will work in a print book because <laughs> like, like if that's 90 percent of how people communicate these days like it's it's weird that we still have these very different communication modes as well and and like language has become very different online and in books yeah, a whole oh man,
1: there's like deep. there's a there's a whole separate podcast to be had about that, dude.
0: So much. Oh, do you know the other thing that I found recently? But this is very recent, but it's made me so so goddamn happy. Simon, have you seen the Blue Planet Two trailer? I have not. Oh my god. Okay. Immediately after we're done chatting, I need you to go watch it. It it'll give you chills. It's just oh my god. It's so life affirming and magical. And we need all of David Attenborough before he dies. And it's just so, so magical. And it makes me want I to throw that it all I hate that that's become the narrative
1: around David Attenborough.
0: Oh, <laughs> okay. Does it make you sad to think that he's old?
1: Well, I mean, yeah, he's super old. He's 90, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but, that's, but that's whenever anybody's discussing David Attenborough, that's like how it's always prefaced.
0: Yeah, sure. I guess it's like when Madiba was really old. And it, it just like this world. You do get the sense that the world will be fundamentally different. Once once Without they're them, gone, yeah. once they're out of it, it's so sad. He's just such a special, magical person. Um, so the video also has this amazing uh, soundtrack by Hans Zimmer and uh, Radiohead. So that song, you know that song, Bloom. Um, they like yeah, yeah, yeah. So they remade that, um, and there's this wonderful Vox video where Hans Zimmer talks about how. So he sort of made it orchestral, and he talks about how um, there was a trick that they found. Uh, to make it feel oceany, where um, the rule was that the whole orchestra would, was playing the same notes, but you as an individual player were never allowed to be playing the same notes—the notes at the same time as your neighbour. So it becomes this like very uh, like chaotic rolling sound, um, yeah. which feels a lot like the ocean, and that's the sort of underlying underlying sound in the in this orchestral piece. Oh my god, it's like. It's so magical.
1: (laughs) I am going to go and watch it right now and enjoy this orchestral piece.
0: Yay. Watch the crap out of it.
1: All right, Sammy. Okay. I will.
0: (laughs) Simon, I love you. And we should probably do this more often. It's quite fun
1: yeah but we've said that before so let's not (laughs) let's not say that i mean i just but let's let's do this more i
0: do also love hearing when like it it really does mean a lot whenever people reach out to us on like twitter as they have been recently saying guys where's where's the where's take back the day like it really does mean a lot to know that you know we're having conversations with people that we don't even know that we're having conversations with
1: um well yeah and it's interesting when there's synchronicity around that so not that synchronicity is a real thing but um But, you know, we had, like, independent people on Twitter hitting you and me up going, when the hell are you making another episode of your goddamn podcast?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And then bumping into somebody, like, in a meeting the next day who said... When are you having a conversation with well, Sam on the internet again? Well, we
0: think um, that they were all independent. Maybe there's some like orchestrated. <laughs> like Coordinated force. Exactly. <laughs> run by the US military. And all of this is somehow connected to propaganda. I don't know. I don't know, Simon. What we we're don't trying to say is
1: thanks for bugging us humans. <laughs>
0: yeah, we like it. Bug us more. <laughs> all, all right,
1: Sammy. I love you. I love you too.
0: Chatty later.